Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another pop-up podcast. Uh, I'm Bob Rivers, and yes, my face. We'll get to that. Uh, on tonight's podcast, well, <clears throat> what I have to tell you is I'll, I'm traveling as this is semi-live streamed on my way to New York for the Radio Hall of Fame induction ceremony, which has me very excited, intimidated, and nostalgic. And uh, tonight we're going to have a sort of behind the scenes talk about some of the great days of radio and some of what is going on now with one of my first friends, first real friends on the radio. He's a gentleman that I, um, <clears throat> well, back in the day, I used to do overnights. And by the way, midnight was not even late enough to put someone as bad as I am on the radio. You had to wait till 2 a.m. <laughs> And so I, uh, I was on from 2 to 6 a.m. on a station that I grew up listening to. 13 Waves, W-A-V-Z, New Haven. And my 10 to 2 guy, who of course was ready to take off with his career in a rocket ship, was Pete Salant. Hi, Pete. Hi, Bob. I, I didn't make it to the Radio Hall of Fame, but somewhere in between, I don't know. You're pretty famous, actually, amongst the circles of programmers you worked with, and we'll talk a little bit about that. Let me also sure. bring bring on my co-host tonight, in case I run out of things to say. He's also one of my earliest best friends in radio, starting in the 80s with the American Comedy Net Network, one of the best voice talents in all of the business, Ed Kelly. I'm not in the... Radio Hall of Fame. I just want to say that up front. Um, <laughs> All right. So, <clears throat> well, uh, where to begin? Um, I, I want to hear I about two to six. You want to hear about this or two to six first? Two to six first. Okay. Two to six a.m. was the entry-level shift on any radio. They called it the graveyard shift. Yeah. Yes. You needed a, well, to, Pete, what, what did I need to qualify for that? Um, you needed um, a semi-mature sounding voice. Mm -hmm. um, you, need, you needed to for sure show up on time. And yes. not much else. Not really much else. Oh, you're forgetting. Oh, 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 I know. You know, no, you needed, you needed to be uh, aware, to run a tight board. Mm. Isn't that what they used to say? Run a, run a tight board. Yeah. Uh, and That's all I know. One more legal document. Oh, you had to have you had you had to have a third class FCC license at this station right. until <laughs> until two years before we worked there. You had to have a first. That's right. That's right. And 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 and, and overnight, if if you were in charge of taking transmitter readings, and so you literally had to take you had to memorize the answers <laughs> to get a, a <laughs> ticket up there to do that. So <clears throat> I don't remember how I got hired. Um, I, I was just a pest uh, to every radio station in the area. I bet Pete does. <clears throat> yeah. And the first time I was on uh, 13 Waves, I was five and a half years old. Which I don't know if you know that story. <laughs> this is a really cool story. No. <laughs> but let's start. <clears throat> let's start with you. Pete Salant. How old were you back then? 
Um, I was tw- 19 turning 20 when I met you. Okay. Yeah. 19 turning 20. Yeah. And I was, a, I was a baby. I was like 17. Barely. You, you barely had your driver's yeah. license. Yeah. I had just grown um, pubic hair. Coincided with, <laughs> I think that comes into the TMI category. Well, but but when you're when you're like twelve and or nine or eight and you want to be a disc jockey, you're you're yeah. waiting for that pubic hair because that's when their voice is going to change. Right that's now, when your nads are going to. I've got a yeah. little little cold, so it's reminding me of being twelve. Um, but your he, voice did your voice did change, and it changed for the better. It wasn't finished changing though, but it was good. No, no. And I su- assume it's going downhill from here. Um, <laughs> so, Pete, you're 10 to 2. Now, I don't, it's hard to remember that far back, uh, the details, but I do remember that you were a big shot kind of at the radio station, not at first. Well, you eventually became I, the I, I don't know. I did. I did. I don't know if I want to correct you or not, but there was another guy. I was 6 to 10. And there was a guy named Mike Dean or, or somebody like that who was, yeah, I think who was 10 to 2. But as you get better, you get earlier. And the reason I was the reason I was 6 to 10 is because we also had to do production, create commercials for local establishments. Uh, of course, we had to um, uh, put um, 60 Coca-Cola commercials onto uh, tape cartridges and do all the things that we were told to do. So each of us had a usually a two two hour production shift on top of that. And I would usually come in about noon so I could uh, butter up the program director and um, you know see if I couldn't move up to two to six someday. But um, I would dub the the songs from from records onto tape cartridges and um, do whatever was asked of me. And of course, as Bob knows, um, uh, he and I eventually, I would stay late so I would, I could see him. So I could see mm-hmm. Bob. I didn't and remember Bob, that part. Yeah. No, I didn't know uh, we Bob had and I were not that. We did. We, we did. And Bob, Bob and I were not that, we were not big fans of the way the radio station kind of sounded like the Tonight Show with with Johnny Johnny Carson. Once it moved to Los Angeles, the way it sounded in New York, which was kind of like this. So um, secretly, Bob and I would um, sort of fix things behind the covers of all of the uh, audio gear, all the gizmos. Really, and we yeah, really yeah. made that station sing. We made that station sound a whole. If lot I remember correctly, me. you turned me on to EQ and compression, which at that time, the station that was the loudest station on the dial and the brightest would be the one people would most enjoy listening to. And I I don't remember which one of us took the lead on the clandestine operations, but I have some vague memories that the engineers put a plexiglass, a piece of plexiglass over the EQ and that uh, <clears throat> you and I found creative things to do with a 12-inch ruler. And some, <laughs> you know, we literally were like breaking into a car, weren't we? Because yeah, we were like, the yeah, station doesn't sound crisp enough. 
And sometimes they, it would take them months sometimes to figure out that we made a change of some kind. Years later, when I was program director of this same station, I was actually allowed to go to the transmitter and build things myself and eventually built this multi-band, four-band thing that made made the AM station sound like FM and we were copied all over the country pretty much. A, a parametric EQ type thing? Um, well, th this this was just dynamic EQ, where with a separate limiter for bass, mid bass, mid range, and highs. And by the way, what we were going through is similar to the Beatles, because back in those days, stodgy old engineers thought that things should be flat. They thought flat meant undistorted. It sounds good. It's flat. And if you brighten something up, you th they thought you were uh, ruining it. So just oh, as, too, it's um, too crisp, too much high end. No, you you're, you're ruining yeah. it. Put it back to flat. Put it back. So just as the Beatles with their producer were pushing boundaries and thinning things up and, and creating these effects that didn't even exist at the time, uh, Pete was at the forefront of making radio stations sound good. And that eventually led to consulting stations all over the country doing that very thing that would have got us both fired at age 17 and 19. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that, that, that is, you that don't is have to, true. I mean, it's statute of limitations. It's all about, I still have fear of the engineers finding out. Yeah. Oh no. By the, by the time I got to New York, which was the job after that, actually the first, the first, my first day on the job, when I went to NBC's FM station in New York, the, flagship station for NBC's FM. Um, the chief engineer took me out to get me drunk and uh, at a ch beautiful Chinese restaurant. Part of the job Avenue. interview process yeah. in that era, by the way, was getting drunk by the managers. I miss that. Uh, yes. Well, and he held up a green screwdriver called a greenie. And he said, so Pete, how'd you like it to sound? I, evidently my, my, uh, uh, my reputation had preceded me and he he knew that i would have some very specific ideas and yes we ended up spending an inordinate amount of time on that we sped up the music so that it would make other stations sound dull by comparison and that that meant um recopying oh 600 songs at that higher speed it's it did not mean that we could play more commercials or talk more it's just meant the other stations would would sound, sound dull. dragging yeah yeah yeah, yeah. eventually that, wplj uh, found that but found out that we were doing it nobody it knows about that these days it would probably consider it be considered heresy uh but but back then um I, the way i remember it being done was even on a turntable you could take a piece of splicing tape and make the capstan rotor that turned the turntable just that much thicker. And you wouldn't go up like it wasn't a half a step. It wasn't a huge pitch change. It wasn't chipmunking. Yeah, it but you remember 1.25%. 1.25%. One wrap of, of tape was 1.25% inaudible to the average listener. So yes, we d when we went took the AM station in New Haven and made it FM because the owners of the station had an FM that was the fifth easy listening, beautiful music, elevator music station in a five station market. Uh, it w -E -Z -M. was number five. 
KC what, uh, this was KC, KCI, WKCI. Oh, KC 101. Um, yeah, I heard it. Yeah, so not even though EZN was, EZN was number three or two. They were, they were better. Yeah. So anyway, I convinced them to to change the FM to top 40, but we didn't have any time to do it. The uh, Dan Copps, who was the primary owner, said, I'm afraid somebody's going to find out. How fast can you do that, Pete? I said, two weeks. I said, you've got it. And he said, you got it. And we did it, but we didn't have time to put the music on tape or anything. So the guys had to remember how to queue up records. And <laughs> that's how we sped up the music until we until we got uh, Techniques SP10 did, digital turntable. Did you pioneer that, Pete? I don't think I pioneered anything, Ed, but I copied. Okay. Um, I, I was going to say. And, and yes, I think I might have. Uh, I might have been the first to do it in the area, certainly. And there were so many purists that who who did who did not believe that it, the sound should be changed in any way. Um, and but I, proof, I, I took umbrage with that. So yeah, the proof was in the ratings, and uh, not only did WAVZ do good, KC one hundred and one was a flame throwing monster radio station. Debuted at debuted at number one with an eleven share, and it's still on the air forty something years later. It's still on. It is in the same format, and this caused Pete Salant to be hired in New York City to fix one of the worst radio stations in the country. It it, it used to be WNBC FM, right? It, it it was it was WEAF FM WNBC FM, and then it was all news for about two years, and then they went to WYNY, uh, which was a, a sort of an ill-fated attempt at adult contemporary. It sounded you know it was just a wow, little from light. Ten ten uh, wins to adult contemporary. <laughs> yeah, like that, and uh, it was number twenty-two in the market in adults, twenty-five to fifty-four. But within a year. Was number one under what color happened wyny it it was when i inherited it it was new york 97 wyny fm which is a big mouthful and i said well, let's just call it 97 wyny and we bought all new jingles which we did several times in a row and i had fights with the uh, executive vice president of everything and uh i won <laughs> of everything i like that i, I like oh, that grandiose yeah. title yeah yeah we computerized computerized the music so i could control which jingles went into which songs so they were tempo matched to the jingle would be tempo matched with the song that followed um Sweepers, uh, and uh, and I had frequent and very close contact with the air talent because they were the one, you know, my which, air talent team was the one were the ones who were making this happen. Speaking as of an air talent, I can tell you that Pete has worked with some of the best and you may have discovered a few of the best. Um, weren't you and Dr. Ruth Westheimer and item at one time? Were you guys seeing each I, other? I found Dr. Ruth at a um, community ascertainment meeting back in the day you had to ask the listeners and the leaders of the community questions about what belonged on the air in the way of public affairs and news. And I found little Dr. Ruth, four foot, nine inch. Uh, well, actually her right leg was four foot eight. She had a, a <laughs> leg full of shrapnel from fighting in the 1948 Israeli war. But That's uh, yeah, I found her, put her, 
put her on the air for 15 minutes a, a, a night on, on weekends. And then we expanded her to a half hour and then to an hour. And we had to work very closely with the law legal department at NBC because they didn't want her to say penis or blowjob. And we did a lot. We wanted her to say that very frequently. <laughs> it's the right I, mix of yes. music and the right mix of words. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I, let's talk about her talent for just a second, because you must have seen something in her, aside from that it would be, you know, titillating and, and interesting on the radio station. What is it about her heart and soul? Oh, well, she, she was a, the genuine article. She really loved people. She loved being with people. She was a sex therapist, so she had experience doing that. And the doctor in Dr. Ruth was an, actually an EDD, uh, but that's what she needed at the time to be a sex therapist. And um, she therapized our listeners. She, they developed a very close personal relationship with her. They knew that they could pretty much say anything that wasn't a swear word. And um, our listeners began to, yeah. she did. And our She's listeners began to gravitate to her, but they, they did that with all of, I didn't have to change out the, the DJ, the DJs on, on the station um, with a couple of exceptions. I had guys who were recalcitrant about talking less about saying a whole lot in a very short period of time, which was so, before, yes. Yeah. And so I, I had to let a couple of very famous guys go, including Dick summer. Did you, I don't know if you've ever heard of Dick summer, but he was on WBZ in Boston for many years. And um, he, I, I'll never forget the day I had to let him go. He he thanked me later, years later, for that. But um, and a couple of other guys, but the the rest of them were terrific. We also had twelve board operators. This was a heavy union shop until it was right until right after I left to go consult. It was still throw a cue if you wanted the song to start. And uh, the I invited the board ops to our jock meetings. And I got I got grieved by the union for doing that. They misheard me. They didn't hear the fact that I said it was optional. You can come if you'd like to, but you don't have to. They thought I said you have to come to the meetings. By the way, even the one who grieved me ended up coming every week. And uh, we had we we eventually did not have to throw a cue for just about anything. They just read our minds. They were great. Talk about the next most uh, amazing personality from. WYNY that comes to your mind? Bill, Bill St. James, a, a very, very well-known national voice guy. He's retired now, but um, uh, he did. He was the voice of HBO for whew, 10 or 15 years, and he has an extremely deep voice, and he began his career at WDRC in Hartford as Bill Hart. A wonderful guy and a Terrific voice. I had Steve O'Brien, who was a national voiceover guy. Um, and um, Bruce Bradley, also from WBZ originally. He was the um, he was my morning guy. And his first day on the air, it was like magic. Just just magic. He just knew exactly what to do and when. Uh, he needed very little coaching. And I I was I did coach. A lot. Oh, I remember. But I, you know, uh -huh. <laughs> yes, but it was. But it uh, wasn't one of those. Did you wear tech sessions? Did you, Bob? 
Um, I don't don't know. No, I don't. (laughs) I don't think he was PD while I was there. He was a. uh, You were a mentor. You were a really okay. But our friend, friend. our friend Chuck Martin, did pretty scary air check sessions that worked, but they were scary. They did, but he was one of those uh, spare the rod, spoil the DJ types. Um, he was. He went to KHJ Los Angeles. Had a, a remarkable storied career too, and he's a, he's one of the greats. Um, back then, we were all learning, and so we all made mistakes. You're 17. You're 19 years old. You do stuff. And um, I worked for Les Garland there. Les Garland ended up being the guy who started MTV. Yeah, he he went so, from Waves to CKLW to MTV. Yeah. Amazingly huge people. Um, now, uh, <clears throat> so Steve, as time went on and radio changed, and by the way, at the end of this broadcast, I'm going to play a little piece called Nine, which was uh, one of the most famous uh, gags passed around between radio people around, would that be, when would that be, like the early 80s? That would be about, no, that would actually have been about a month before I got to WAVZ in New Haven. It was the oh. fall or September of 74, 1974. Okay, okay. And, um, and you were kind of making fun of how radio stations were oversimplifying things to talk, not just as little as possible, but to actually not talk at all, right? That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's, we started out by reflecting on the olden days, 900 radio, what a beautiful Sunday afternoon it is. And then we kind of with echo cut in off the background a, and absolutely honk, honk, yeah, horns, things like that. And yeah. you <laughs> could hear the cart yeah. machine starting and the and the turntable <laughs> boom and the and the disc jockey <laughs> stepping on the Beatles and all that. And that's um, very funny. We then because moved you're more on important to, than the Beatles if you're a disc jockey. Absolutely. <laughs> you are. Right. We moved on so to, you, to the big 90 and then to just nine. Uh, Even the we'll news at the end was just you had yeah. you had this idea to just basically make fun of how uh, and, and and I'm curious now because you did that kind of format you know I ended up evolving into album rock and talk and um, you know getting to the point where when I decided that by the way it was 1980 let's see what year was it 1997 ish when consolidation took place and we've talked about this at a diner a few times. I could see the writing on the wall. Every station was going to be part of a cluster. And those, as tough as it was, and economically, by the way, it was very tough for single owner radio stations to make a profit because they were essentially doing battle with each other, spending promotional resources, competing for talent, all of that. So when in 1997, the FCC ruled that you could own a pile of stations in a market. It used to be you could have one AM, one FM, and maybe one TV. Is that what it was? Do you remember? That's yeah, yes. And then right after that, it was seven, seven, and seven, and then it and then it became as many as you fucking want to. <laughs> Pretty much, I rue the day. It's good if you whisper. Fuck, no one hears it. Just like blowjob. All right. So, so what's funny is up until that, and by the way, I just loved, I got into radio because I loved music. I wanted to be a top 40 DJ. I mean, to be on 13 waves and to do things with my, you know, to, to, it was a new voice, but I was learning how to use it. Um, And to work with really great 
talent, inspiring people like Pete, you did learn that you could really pack a lot of emotion into 20 or 30 seconds. In fact, the better you were, the more people like Pete would maybe ignore. I don't know if you did this or ever said this to somebody, but it has to be better than the music <laughs> if you're going to keep talking. And uh, I never said that. But You never said that? Okay. It's a cliche. A lot of people well, say No, I may have inferred it, but yeah. Uh, anyway, I, uh, about 1997, when you were, uh, you were uh, at YNY then? No, no. In, in 1997, I was uh, finishing up my 20 years of consulting uh, radio okay. stations who all, all wanted to sell to clear channels. So they wanted to okay. increase the sale, resale value of their stations, hence me coming in and boosting the ratings. So, so we haven't really had this conversation. So that was a dramatic turning point for the industry, for both you and for me. For you, it meant these, uh, this consultancy where all of these stations desperately needed you for the upper edge, you know, the upper hand that you would give them. Now, some of, some of them were suddenly brother and sister stations and clients probably. Well, yeah. Well, and I jumped right on that and figured out that the morning guy on station A in, in the cluster could also be the afternoon guy on the country station in the cluster or whatever. You're I unfortunately am. Yeah, I, I'm the guy. <laughs> I also. Cons yes. Yes. Yeah, I, I consulted the companies that that made automation. And uh, ch uh, cheers, Bob. Oh, you're and, the guy. Uh, um, <laughs> Showed them how to make it easy for DJs to pre-record their voice tracks and voice tracking it was, too. It, it was it was difficult, but yeah, well, it was an awful lot of money in it. So yeah, yeah. I grabbed for it all the grabbed it for the gusto. And you and participated by the way, in the evolution of radio in the direction it was going in. And by the way, nobody was ever. I'm sorry. That yeah. Revolution or devolution? I, I missed that. Well, that's, we're going to get to this. The, the latter. It's the, the latter. <laughs> <laughs> it's still going on. So um, what an interesting thought, though. At, at, you you were extremely top of your career doing a different thing for me. And I was doing well in Seattle, but realized that yeah. if I was on a, a cluster of four stations with music, they could just counter program each other as frenemies yeah, right and then east all these stations they can play the same music if they want to yeah so i decided at that time that i had to drop all the music and go mm -hmm. rock talk like some of the big shows in my genre were doing and that's when my pd said the famous thing you can talk more but only if it's better than the music and it all was in fact well there were some tense moments there where um <laughs> There was one rating book where I had been busted because the management who owned WAAF at that time, the ones who had just bought it, the consolidators, um, they didn't know what I was doing. They were, juggling, <laughs> they were juggling a lot of radio stations. So um, I just started dropping, you know, we had eight songs, six, five. When I got down to three songs an hour, um, I got told that they were cutting one of my staff. Budget cuts. We're going to get rid of Joe. And oh uh, boy. Yeah. And I, and I thought, oh, Joe's the heart and soul of all this. We need Joe. And you went to the mat. I went to the mat. Uh, 
I would like to virtue signal and say it's because I'm a wonderful person. But much like Steve, I, I mean, much like Pete, I knew there's a lot of money in making a really good show. And Joe you know, makes and, for a really good show. And he makes for a really good show. So well, you, couldn't uh, do it, you, you couldn't do it all by yourself. You're not that strong. You're strong, but you're not Hercules. You do well, know how I'm, to put together. I, you know how to put together a team yeah, that I'm makes a, you that makes you Bob Rivers. So well, and the solo performers, you know, those people that can stand there for three hours and entertain people uh, with just the sound of their own voice. I would be suicidal. Oh, I know somebody. I know somebody you're talking about. I know who you're talking about. Okay. Yeah. 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 So mm -hmm. uh, no, it all came down to one rating book, though, talking about uh, being on the edge. Um, I was told that this was going to happen whether I wanted it to or not. And I had to accept whatever, a contract change, a pay cut or whatever. And one of the things I always noticed about radio management is you were never talking to the boss. You were talking to the GM who would talk to the operations manager, who would talk to the regional manager, and then it would get all the way to Philadelphia, you know, five people away. And so um, anyway, they gave me this take it or leave it. And I said, well... Um, I'm going to leave it. And the operations manager in the meeting said, well, I got to go to my boss then. And then I went, oh, he has a boss. That's right. And so when they came back with another proposal, I said, well, I have to go to my boss, Lisa, my wife. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say well, Steve well, she had, she had to be. She had to be involved. She had to be involved somewhere. Yeah, it was, she's, it, she's it, my, it involved uh, your, your income. She's my life partner. So what happened and on right, that day is that I was buying a few more days because I knew there was a rating book coming up. And I had my fingers crossed. Ooh, I bet you did. Yeah, it was good. And it came out great. Yeah. And so I went to the, I went to my boss and I said, are they going to let me go? And he went, not right now. <laughs> well, how about Joe? What happened to Joe? <laughs> oh, Joe, we worked together for 25 years. There you yeah. go. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, one, the, of the, one of the best, most sincere radio talents in the country, if you ask me. All right. So that's my 1997 story. Let's hear from Ed. Where were you in 1997 when consolidation happened? Uh, I had left. Uh, no, I was just uh, in the middle of um, classic hits. For, uh, that would have been the second year of a five-year contract with WCSX. Working with a guy that is leaving the air at the end of this year, uh, Jim Johnson. Big Detroit personality. Yeah. So we had two voice guys on with the main guy. Sounds like Didn't one too it. many for Buzz Channel. Or was it Buzz Clear? What's well, the... Uh, what's... <laughs> it was uh, not one of the biggies at the time. It was not. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but but uh, commercials were starting to compete, and so was syndication. Mm -hmm. I was I was just juggling too much. My quality of life wasn't there. I was sleeping three hours a day, you know. Yeah. So if that, how would you say what 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 happened at that point? You just went into voice work primarily, right? I mean, you were always a voice guy. Uh, yes, I did, and um, but when I got to town, um, my partner at the time drove me to a place called um, Ron Rose Studios, and they had a thing called Motor City Mileage. He said, you've got to get on this because I think you'll do well. And sure enough, you know, the phone, yeah. it was WB Donor and J. Walter Thompson and all the agencies you see on Mad Men <laughs> started blowing up my uh, pager at the time. And it, it, 
it eventually became bigger than the, the radio thing and uh, a whole lot faster. And I got a lot more sleep. But, I'll bet. You know, I always, I, I, I went to two days a, a week, two days a week in radio and I've been there ever since for 26 years. So we years. adapt, we evolve with the times. The business is always going to be changing. You can't find anything but change. It certainly is changing now. And I thought as a bunch of old veterans, we could talk about that. We'll have to give a little bit more of Pete's story about going into um, psychotherapy, which is what he did. He's always helped people. He's always mentored people. And now he actually got went back to school, got a license and did that. Uh, but let's talk a little about this medium that I'm going to guess all three of us love like a mother God, yes. and where it is today and not just the you know there's a lot of uh pronunciations of the death of radio just as when kodak went under they were saying no one would take pictures anymore i don't think it's true at all i think nope. that depending on what you define as radio everything that we loved tweaking the sound, coming up with cool phrases, connecting with people, promotions, doing wild and crazy things to get people to, uh, you know, to follow you. I think all of that stuff is alive and stronger and in many ways bigger than ever because everybody can play. You can get it on is, the It is absolutely still valid, Bob. And, and the, the question is, you're you're get or the, the the paradox is you're given a toolbox to uh, to make whatever it is is that is going to um, collect a whole lot of people and it's what you do with the tools inside that toolbox how 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 you um, exercise people's emotions how you how you make them like you basically how you change their their behavior so that they don't mind that you are rolling the playlist instead of them uh and it's basically it, it comes down to what's what's between and, and the songs. what you're talking it's about the Pete, is near and dear to my heart because it seems to be very lacking today uh and i don't know if it's because just because i'm old and out of touch or because it's still evolving and it hasn't gotten to a beautiful place yet but a museum has a curator a radio station program director is the curator of the playlist, a, um, a, a station and a market fighting to be interesting to its local listeners is the curator of the local excitement that it creates. And as things happened in 1997, and I'm very glad you were direct about that, it's time to voice track because we got to cut costs. Uh, and and by the way, the other part of it is in 1997 that all these companies saw a chance to make a lot of money. So they borrowed a lot of money. Got a under, uh, some of us have been underwater in a house similar to that. So, so now um, we, we have homogenized quite a bit. And I think that's created a huge opening for talent. And you could say talent is taking that opening in podcasting. You could also look at some of the new shows that are syndicated at 40, 60, 80, 100 stations in individual formats uh, that are um, hosted by brilliantly talented future Radio Hall of Famers. And 
in the sense I get is that transmitter tower radio may be more syndicated, more less, you know, less live and local. But but in order to differentiate from Spotify, you better have brilliant talent on the air. So it's time for talent to be curated, and it's happening. Um, but I don't I don't know why we don't think of podcasting as radio. Because if we did, oh, 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 it is. I was on a yeah. podcast the other day, and the guy said, "We, we, we, we have to call this something other than podcast. It's not a pretty name." I said, "Call it a radio show." And and podcasting is like the new broadcasting. Of. It is. It is. It, you just don't it, need it, a, fa a fancy transmitter. It's well, but here's the here's the funny thing. Uh, when I'm listening to a podcast, please tell me there isn't a transmitter somewhere between here and here. Is there a transmitter? <laughs> there is. It's a wire. It's what a wire or whatever. Yeah. 13 yeah. waves. They're called radio waves. waves. <laughs> and <laughs> you're right. For Bob. years, for years, people made fun of radio because they weren't adding any features. The radio, AM radio in the car, the FM radio in the car showed you the dial position. Right. And then, ooh, one year we added a scrolling text telling you what song it wow. is. And that was innovation. And so yeah. what I and so was AM stereo, by the way, <laughs> AM stereo, and then the, and then all the HD stations, and then. It, but I think the innovation really is that people are passionate about being on the radio, whether they're influencers on YouTube, that's radio, whether they're podcasters on Spotify or Apple, that's radio, and um, and so to me, radio is bigger than it ever was. In fact. I can't keep up with all the shows I like, and I have more shows to listen to than I've ever had in my life. I was just reminded about a bunch of, of shows that I've forgotten about that I was really into too. You're right. There's, there's not even enough time. There's so much talent out there and there's not, I mean, we need, we just need more time to be able to enjoy it. Bob, you are so right with that. And, and we have about a minute left if you're going to play nine. I know, I know, I'm all about that. All right, so uh, I guess the last thing, uh, just to wrap it up, would be that we love radio so much that my message lately to other radio people, and I'll try to do this uh, at the Hall of Fame induction, is encouraging talent is the answer to every dilemma we have. Finding, facilitating, putting out talent, whether it's on radio broadcast airwaves or podcasting. And by the way, distributors always figure this out because they're the ones that sit there and figure out how to make money. And I think we're in a bit of a transition, but a shout out to everybody who's podcasting. Uh, and I, I, I would have done this for free uh, all those years. Now I'm doing it for free. So I guess that proves <laughs> it. Uh, we can go a little bit over because if I don't explain the marks on my head, Yes. Uh, I'm going to ask the self, -mutil uh, self mutilation you were doing before. Yeah, I'm going to ask Mike if we can <laughs> go at ahead least and pull get out the cat of nine tails. <laughs> so these marks on my head occurred one night in Vegas, and they involve the Apple Store, Donny Osmond, and the Sphere. How's that, Bob? <laughs> Sounds like I a Karnak joke from the Johnny Carson show. Yeah, I know. 
I purchased the new iPhone because we go to shows in Vegas all the time. We love living in Las Vegas now because one of our favorite things has always been live shows. And here you can just say, who do I want to see? And you'll see some that you passed on that turned out to be good, like Carrot Top. He's great. Um, and so, and we've seen all the big, you know, rock shows. So I keep driving by, I think it's the Tropicana and they have the Donny Osmond Theater. Over the years, I interviewed him a bunch of times and boy, was he a sweetheart of a gentleman, nice, kind guy. So I thought I should go see him. But you don't like country music or adult contemporary. Nah, I should go see him anyway. So, so we bought some tickets. On the way, we stopped to get a new iPhones because Lisa is one of those people who cannot go to a concert without shooting tons of video. I'm like, put it down. I want to be here in the moment. But she, uh, she does that. And the new iPhone has a great camera. It made us a little late, rushed to the show. After the show, I was jazzed. And she said, let's go back. Let's Uber back to the car. I said, let's walk to the sphere. You've seen the sphere, right? Uh, no, it's it. like the eighth wonder of the world right now. Mm -hmm. No. <laughs> Pizza Lent does not sound Very impressed Disney. in Virginia with the sphere in Las Vegas, but it's really cool. No, um, it is cool. It is cool. Mm -hmm. So we walk there. And they're setting up for Formula One racing in Vegas. They're building all these scaffoldings oh and stands. And it's they a construction mess. You remember. I'll make a long story. Not as long. But as we were walking back. I'm trying to get an Uber. On my new iPhone. On your phone. But when, when you have no. a new phone, you have to enter new passwords. You have to do two-factor authentication. You have to. I'm like, this is crazy. Blah, 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 blah. I stepped off a curb that was, you know, it, it, it was a death trap. And next thing I know, I'm falling. And I, and I remember saying to myself, you're going to crack your skull. I, it felt like I had a half hour between knowing I was going to fall and hitting it. And when that happened, a whole bunch of people came up and they were, um, they wanted to call an ambulance. Lawyers. <laughs> No, <laughs> the billboards were all like there were five billboards for injury. Law. God yes. damn it. That long interval when you're falling, that is a thing. But yeah, yes. is it a thing? Yeah, tell Slip it, and fall. It's, <laughs> it's just uh, your time slows down. It does. It does. And you, you, it feels like forever. But well, anyway, at, so, at, so what happened? Well, I hit and I actually honestly, I, I felt my head crack and I didn't know, like, am I OK or not? And um, people were freaking out. And, and I, I remember saying, face down, give me just a second to assess my damage. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, I'm thinking clearly and I can speak in a sentence. So Lisa lifted me up. Yes. And, you know, it looked real. This is this is four days better. And uh, at that time, it did seem to be the smartest thing to do to call an ambulance. And there were four like paramedic types who wanted to do that. Except Las Vegas Boulevard was totally gridlocked. It would take an hour for an ambulance to get in there. And I said, if I can walk, let's go two blocks and I'll get an Uber. I'll get to the hospital an hour quicker. Except by the time we're in the Uber, I'm laughing. I'm joking. I felt great. And, and then I even Googled, you know, you should have some symptoms. If, if you're feeling fine, keep an eye on it. So, um, 
This actually was the first test of whether I could complete enough sentences to talk for 45 minutes. And I thank you both. <laughs> you passed. You look like Lieutenant uh, Worf from Star, from Star <laughs> Wars or for Star Trek. You look like you fell, you fell face down on an iPhone. I'm not sure. Yeah. Looks like All he's right, been me, French kissing the jackhammer. <laughs> let me get to the big uh, audio finish, by the way. And I heard uh, 99 too, which is a very long. I should put up a link to that as well, which is sort of a follow up to nine. Uh, so this is about, this is about radio during a period when it dramatically oversimplified and, and didn't really, uh, it was on. It was part of the radio journey. Let's put it that way. You you put this together by yourself. That's your voice on there, right? That, that, that I am just the narrator. No, there were three extremely talented guys who. Yeah, but you're the narrator. Um, my the own friends today. Hey, yes, I didn't write I watched it Narcos all Mexico. Either, so. The narrator is the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I just want um, to make sure it, they know your voice and recognize it. Yeah, Howard Hoffman. Uh, Randy West and Russ DeBello and me. Mm -hmm. and, wow. and we got together and got very high and made this thing. Ladies <laughs> and had and some pizza and, and finished it. Yeah. Here's Pizza Lot with nine. For years, top 40 radio programmers have been searching for the most efficient and most saleable approach to effective motivation of potential ratings respondents in their respective and contiguous market. For example, listen now to the contemporary sound of WVWA, Pound Ridge, New York, known affectionately to their community as 900 Radio, circa 1965. Well, there you have it right there, old Satchmo himself from uh, last year, I think that was. Boy, it seems like a long time ago, doesn't that? That's Hello Dolly, and this is the sound of Young Westchester 900 Radio, the sound of WVWA. It's the Pound Ridge Happening Sound, 900 Radio. Let's go! And uh, yeah, we got the, uh, oh, it's a beautiful wind. <laughs> Did you look at it? The sun is shining, and it's just one of those days to 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 get out in the sun beautiful wednesday mostly sunny today and uh, it's gonna be clear and cold tonight with a low around 30 but right now it's 89 degrees at wvwa 900 radio those four crazy boys from liverpool the the flagrant disunity of programming elements, the abundance of unnecessary sound, the clutter. City service is the best for your car. Yeah, okay, that's uh, city service there. From 900 Radio, this is WBWA on a beautiful Wednesday. My goodness, the skies are clear out there, aren't they? Radio. Let's go! Yeah, let's go with more music! Get the little inside Boys. baseball. Something had to be done. Time elements had to be condensed to most effectively maximize dynamic utilization of the audio medium. In the continuing efforts to intensify the impact, many ideas were born, tried, and died. W 
WCWA Pound Ridge. It's nine o'clock on Greater New York's Big 90. This is Charlie West with a million dollar weekend featuring the music of one of the world's two great groups, the Dave Clark Five, starting Saturday, all day Saturday on WVWA. <laughs> WVWA and the music just keeps flat. on coming on a solid gold weekend. 214 on the big 90 with Bob Roberts. At long last, management recognized the full potential of their experiments in broadcasting. The idea was there in practice. It had to be taken to its furthest extreme. Buzzhart Rookdreck Creative Services was engaged by WVWA Poundridge, New York. Their extensive research period of more than 100 hours interviewing barmaids and local establishments and several bass drummers from the local high school band representing a cross-section of WVWA's target demographics. The consulting firm developed, refined, molded, polished, honed, shaped, and pulled out of left field a revolutionary new formatic programming concept. 900 Radio became... Space Cowboy, you're the cutest thing I ever did see. I is that the it, joke uh, Chanel format? Is that what that is? <laughs> yes. It, yeah, uh, yeah, that was certainly the, the the Drake format uh, in there. How, More yeah. Contest winner can only say nine. Nine? Nine. Yeah. That was a real, <laughs> that was a real listener to that radio station that we did that at, W-A-L-L in Middletown, New York. <laughs> okay. A real listener. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Boy, we are certainly um, oh. inside radio here. It's Who inside it? baseball, yeah. yeah. A friend of mine who's also a great radio mentor, uh, dearly departed Kid Craddock, once said to me that someone uh, came up to him at a remote and said, can you tell me how to get into radio? And he leaned over and he said, get a screwdriver and do the back club cover and climb in. 
<laughs> well, a literalist he was, eh? Okay. Well, yes. what was funny is the, the way he told the story, he was feeling bad about it. He thought, oh, this person really wanted my input, and I gave him a joke yeah. answer, and then Kid developed the rest of his radio career to running um, Bitboard, helped with Morning Show Boot Camp, and he mentored... Yes other talent for his, uh, you know, for his whole existence, really. Um, and on that note, a thank you to Pete Salant for your time today and Ed Kelly. You're welcome. And uh, you. for all uh, that you did for all those wonderful years. And how about a, a toast to the future of broadcasting, no matter which platform it's on and all the passionate people who want to connect with other people. Cheers. I'm in. <laughs>